My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> well, welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here today. If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I might regret saying this by the time we finish, Mark, but I believe today, uh, Lord willing, next week, and Lord willing, the week after that, will be the largest parenthetical that we kind of experience as we go through Mark. Um, Mark is trying to explain a couple of things in uh, Mark chapter 6, and I I think it's a very effective way to do it. Um, But before we get into uh, Mark chapter 6, I want to ask the question that we ask each week, which is, what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Oh, yes, Miss Amy, sorry. It says early in 6 that they took offense at him. Yes. And they took offense directly to him. Yes. The man, the man himself. Yes. So why should we be surprised when they take offense at him? Hmm. I've encountered that several times this week. Yeah. I'm like, why am I surprised that you're offended by yeah. what I It feels like I've, I've, I might have read something almost explicitly don't be surprised when they take offense at you. Yeah, I think but we all are. We do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. Shockingly commonly so, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, somebody else. What's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So let me ask you a question. Who's in charge of our understanding of Mark? Holy Spirit. That's right. Does the Holy Spirit have a will? Yes. Holy Spirit's a person, right? So the Holy Spirit gets to determine when we see stuff and when we don't. So one, don't beat yourself up. (laughs) Right? Unless you've just been ignoring the text and then, come on, get in in the book. (laughs) Uh, but it's not, it's literally not up to us. So, which is a, um, I had a Bible teacher try about 20 years ago to explain that to me, but my, but it's up to me. Like I, it's like I can do, oh my goodness. Right. Okay. That was me. I bumped the pack. Sorry. Mitch, you got something? 
Okay. I wasn't sure if you're stroking your beard or you're trying to raise your hand. So I would, if I, it, it looks the same sometimes. Okay. <laughs> All right, Dave. You are, actually, yes. But the older I get and the more life experiences that I have, I'm less surprised at people behaving badly, oh. people missing something that's yeah. as obvious as the nose in the face. And uh, so the more I read Mark, the less I'm like, oh, yeah, you saw that. Of course he did. But... Now I see that he saw it coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, uh, we, we live in a real, real fallen world. We do. But in America, we're better at trying to cover it up. Yeah. Sometimes. <clears throat> Sometimes we call it what it ain't, but there you go. Sometimes we just put it on the internet, but yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Because uh, the story in today's text, holy cow, like, it's evil. Like it's evil, evil, evil wickedness. Just horrible, horrible stuff. So let's jump in. You ready? What are we going to do next? I forget. Oh, we got to read the text. That's right. Yeah. Cool. So we're in Mark chapter 6. Uh, feel free to listen or to read along. Uh, but this is the word of the Lord. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where does man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. When she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. 
And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go in the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening had come, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So if you step back, and I just want you to take your Bible for a second and look at all of Mark chapter 6, just as a whole. So he is rejected at Nazareth. He sends out the 12 apostles. We have this sidebar of John the Baptist, which really isn't part of the actual narrative of the timeline of this story in Mark chapter 6. And that's what I want to point out. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He does Jesus things, right? But in in Mark 6, verses 14 through uh, 29, we have this parenthetical, if you will, that goes and explains something that's going to become important later on in the story of Mark. And the, the basic question is, when Jesus comes to trial before these different rulers, what kind of awareness did they have? Because if you're telling a story about somebody's life and you just drop in people from nowhere 
the reader, like, well, who is this? And why are they important? And what's going on? And from a literary perspective, one of the things that Mark is doing here, he's introducing us to one of the bad guys in the book, right? And who's the bad guy we get introduced to? Herod, right? And Herod is a mess, an absolute mess. So a couple of weeks ago, I gave you guys, and you should have a couple of them on your table, but you should have one of these. So grab this. We'll talk through it for just a second. Um, and I, I, so, so two kind of uh, two kind of generic points before we get too far into this. One, um, if your family tree uh, looks like this, um, you don't have to keep the evil going. Okay. Uh, my grandma was married four times. And, uh, and that in, in no way, shape, or form impacts my decision on to follow the Lord or to not. Okay? So we just, I just want to start with, if this is what, like if your family tree is just a wreck filled with pagans doing pagan stuff, okay. Jesus took this and used it for his glory. <laughs> I say, praise the Lord, that's awesome. And then, and then two, um, the, the, the view that the people on this page had toward marriage is in no way, shape, or form even a hint of what a biblical marriage is. So I'm going to use the word marriage a lot in this lesson and it doesn't mean what we would adhere to and say, this is a lifelong commitment to another human being. All right, does that make sense? I just want to kind of clarify some terms. All right, so, so we're going to start at the top. So Herod the Great, um, self-titled, uh, and he was the guy that tried to kill Jesus. So you remember when Jesus was born, the wise men came, right, and they asked who? They asked, uh, they asked, Herod actually asked the, the yeah, asked them, uh, where is he going to be, right? This is that guy up here. So Herod, and I actually didn't see this until I put it up on a very large screen, but in the, in the visual, hopefully you can see it. So this top little bar are his wives. So this guy's wives are here. Now there's four of them that are significant to scripture and they're listed in red, but there's a, there's literally, this is awful. There's literally a half a dozen others. They're just kind of grouped over here. Yes, right? This is exactly the response we should have, which is like, what? Yes, your head should cock to the side and go, what in the world? So, math question. You've got six and four makes ten. That's right, Luke. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, some of them, so uh, probably there was some overlap um, given his particular view, but the, you could be dismissed and another one come. Uh, what, if you read history on this, what it looks like is as one was kind of on the way out, he already had another uh, functionally in place. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, more than his eye. More than his eye. Yeah. Uh, like functionally in place. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, there's just, there's just, just evil, evil. Oh, dear Lord, help me. Yes, Luke? He 
Did he kill any of them? This is a really good question. Um, very likely not with his own hand. Yeah, but he... Um, well, some of these guys did, right? I mean... Yep. There were a lot of things that, uh, that happened here that are just not... Uh, but I don't know the answer to that one. And I think he probably had some, you know, because you could whisper to people and things would just go happen when you're the king, right? So, so, right, exactly right. So, so did you hear what he said? Exactly right. The executioner goes and he does his dirty work for him. And, and so this is another good point in this story. If somebody in a high, char- high office looks at you and tells you to go do something sinful, that's on you whether you do that or not. Right? We are not under a moral or legal obligation to obey an evil ruler when they are participating in sin. Right? So just there's like a thousand of these that I could do. I could teach like for six weeks on this. But all right, so back to Herod and his mess. So you've got four wives that kind of come into play here. Um, I don't, actually don't know that I know how to pronounce any of them, but it's just kind of here we are. So we've got Herod Agrippa, uh, the son of the, the first one here. And uh, this guy is the guy that put Peter in prison and executed James, the son of Zebedee. So in case you're wondering how, well, like what happened to the apostles? Well, not good things, right? There's very, very evil things that happened to them too. Um, he was married to uh, Herodias, uh, but only after. And so there's like three things I don't like about this graphic. One is that they use a heart for the marriages because it was not about that. <laughs> All right. It was not about love. Um, so this marriage, this, this uh, Herod Philip um, was the first marriage to Herodias. And so John like calls out and says that Herod Antipas, his marriage to Herodias after like he kind of took care of Herod Philip, that this was wrong. John says, you should not have done this. So she was married to somebody, this other like half-brother-ish, I think. Is that half-brother or is that step-brother? Half-brother, okay. Because uh, they got the same daddy, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so first husband of Herodias here, second husband of Herodias here. This is the Herod in Mark chapter 6. Okay, so this is back in early Jesus' life. This is Mark chapter 6. Uh, this is the guy that uh, puts Peter in prison. And then uh, where, is, where is my Paul... Uh, he is, but there was another. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Agrippa the second. Yeah, this guy married Bernice. <laughs> so Bernice is actually a really old name. Uh, this guy married uh, Bernice, the son of King Herod Agrippa the first, and he was the one that was appointed by Festus to hear Paul's defense. So he he actually got to talk to Paul which is kind of an interesting concept, right? So lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. Virtually all of this is motivated by power. Because if you were the guy at the head of the family, think like Godfather type stuff. If you're the guy at the head of the family, you have a ton of political influence, right? And if you, if you think about who was at the party that Herod, that Herod Antipas threw, for his birthday. 
Who was there? It's in your text. Herodias was there. The daughter, right? Who else? Speak up loud when you see it. I'm not looking for a, a, an actual name. I'm looking for groups of people. Yeah, the generals were there. Who else? <clears throat> the nobles, right. Everybody that was important, right? Because why would you invite important people to your birthday party? To be seen, right? It's about me. It's about me. I'm wonderful. I want everybody to see me. Does this eventually backfire on him? Yeah, it really does. In, in, a, in a manner in which somebody that's this evil actually looks at it and goes, man, I regret that. It's kind of crazy. Yes, Jay. So get this. Philip the Tetrarch marries his grandniece. Yes. I mean, this is just, this is awful, right? It's absolutely stunningly awful. It's just, it's sickening in every way possible. And Mark's original readers would have had this perspective, right? So, so as soon as Mark says, King Herod heard of it, they know all of this. They know which one he's talking about. They know about Philip, and they know about Herodias, and they know of Antipas. And like, this is all in their head. So now, let's take a look at the actual text. So verse 14. So King Herod... Now, if you look at the highlighted verses, where do the highlighted verses occur? Hello? Chapter 6, right? And then there's one more, right? 8.15. Just head over there real quick, because we actually get to find out what Jesus thinks about Herod, too. Um, This is verse 14. Now, they've forgotten to bring bread. This is a perpetual issue with the apostles. Um, You you just go through and and look and see how many times they forgot to bring the food. It's, It's... I heard a... Episcopalian brother of mine say one time, this is how we definitively know that they were not Baptists, right? They just regularly forgot to bring the food. So they had forgotten to bring bread. That was a joke, okay? So if you're Episcopalian, I love you. Uh, They had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now we've heard him say things like this before, right? And the leaven of Herod. What does Herod represent? The political structure of the day, right? I'm going to get in trouble. Is it possible to take your politics and your allegiance to a sinful place? Yes. Have you been on Facebook lately, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. I'm just going to leave that there. If the Spirit convicts you about that, that's between you and him. All right, so King Herod, back in verse 14, King Herod heard of it. 
So if Mark bounds virtually all of Herod to chapter 6, is this gospel about Herod? Come on, this is an easy answer. No, it is not about Herod. Okay, great. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known or apparent. It was shining. He, he was well known. Now, we talked about this early on in the Gospel of Mark, how people knew who Jesus was. People knew who John the Baptist was in this whole area. There was a tremendous amount of focus on them. So, at the beginning of his life and in his ministry, he was well known. So, who's well known? Jesus is well known, right? Now, what follows is a bit of a here's why. Okay? So here we go. Some said, next page on your handout, John the Baptist. Um, and this is a, a uh, it's one of those words that you can go, it's a, it's a verb, right? It's a present active participle. It's, you can say it this way, John the the guy who baptized people over and over and over and over and over, right? But it's kind of clunky in English, so we just abbreviated to John the Baptist. Makes him sound like he's a part of a denomination. This is not a denominational, uh, uh, I want to say nom de guerre, but uh, title that he's got here. Um, this is just a, a function, uh, is a word that was used to describe what he actually did. Okay, so John the Baptizer has been raised from the dead. So what was the first proposed thought about who Jesus was? He was resurrected John the Baptist. Baptist. All right, great. Uh, And then the Greek is actually interesting. So, kiadia hutos. And through this is why these miraculous powers are at work. So because he's been resurrected from the dead... This is why uh, these miraculous powers are at work. What miraculous powers are we talking about here? Whose? Jesus' miraculous powers, right? Because they're trying to put an explanation to how is Jesus able to do this, all right? So this is resurrected John the Baptist. Come on. Well, he, he, he was here, yeah, yeah. So, come on, ask a question again. Did John the Baptist do the same type of miracles? And that's why that time Can anybody put their finger on a verse in the Gospels that say John the Baptist did miracles? Okay, cool. Let's keep going. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I thought somebody in the room might. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, this is kind of the idea, right? Well, he's come back from the dead. Oh, well, dead people, they can do anything. Okay, so you took a really squirrely piece of theology, and then you stacked like four pieces of crap on top of that, and now you've got this just, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Luke, don't say crap, okay? It's not helpful. You have no idea how much you helped me by being in Sunday school, so there's a, a true benefit to me. All right, so, that, so by through this is why these miraculous powers are at work, this dunamis, this, uh, this is forceful, uh, miraculous power is at work in him. All right, verse 15. But others, because there's, <laughs> there's always more than one opinion on a thing, right? So, but others said, he is Elijah. And you're like, Ooh, who's Elijah? Well, does Elijah show up in Mark? Elijah shows up a lot in Mark, right? Quite a bit in Mark. Kind of scattered all the way throughout. So who was Elijah? What was his job title? He was a prophet, right? Did he live at the same time as Jesus and John? 
No, no, no. So we're backing up how many years? Several hundred, several hundred years before Jesus and John, right? So the first idea was he was resurrected John the Baptist. The second idea was he was what? Resurrected Elijah. (laughs) How would you like somebody looked at your life and said, well, the only explanation for you is that you're a dead person come back to life. It's just a, so, so two things to catch here. One, that's weird. And two, there's a bit of this, this uh, exposes what the common religious belief of the day was, right? That this ability to do something like this is dependent upon some kind of a resurrected power. So don't miss the fact that there was a belief in at least some form of a resurrection, but that, that it had to go through that. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus did miracles both before he was resurrected and after he was resurrected. So he did both sides of it, which I think is just fantastic, which takes their paltry little explanations here and just breaks them across the reality of truth. But here we go. So he is Elijah. And others said, because, you know, you can't just have two opinions. You've got to have more than two opinions. He is a prophet. So we're not going to get specific on which one. We're just going to say one of the prophets. So if they would have said the word prophet, generally speaking, what would that have been bounded to historically for them? I thought this was an easy question. I guess it wasn't. Yeah, somebody sent God who speaks on behalf of God, right? And the prophets that they knew of did what? They wrote these things? Yeah, they died, yeah. It was universal truth. There you go, right? (laughs) That is true. Thank you, Captain Obvious. So we will, yes, there you go. Um, So this would have been a, well, he's he's a prophet. I don't know, like I don't want to get specific and say which one, but he's a prophet. Okay. So I'll ask you a question. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked about King Herod. Was he a king? Yeah, Jesus was a king. Was there another function that he fulfilled? I hear it. A priest, yes. He was a priest. That's right. All kinds of fun stuff. He's incredible. So he's, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. So it's just somewhere back there, he's like them. So again, if you're, if you're a prophet like the prophets of old, this was a big deal. Now, the interesting thing, when, when you call somebody a prophet, what are you saying about their message? Right? So look at the, dis- the logical disconnect between the words that are coming out of their mouths and their actual behavior. Because if they were saying, this is a prophet, what should they have been bound to do? To obey and to follow and to listen and to get going with this person. However, what did they never do? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Why are the prophets dead? Because Israel killed them. Prophet is not one of those, ooh, I aspire to be a prophet one day. Yeah, maybe not. You know, this is a dangerous job. I mean, apart from the fact that if you mess something up, like God will deal with you. If you get it right, then the people he told you to go tell this message to may deal with you. But generally, it it does not go well. So verse 16, we get to Herod's opinion, right? So, but when Herod heard it, he said, what? John, whom I beheaded or decapitated. 
is not a fancy word for something else. It means to remove the head of someone. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. This is passive, right? Something acted upon him to raise him up. Has been raised. So there were three options. There was John the Baptist raised from the dead. There was Elijah raised from the dead. There was some prophet. Herod picks door number one. <laughs> it is. It's got to be about me, right? Yeah. Well, you, you, Brian may, yes, yes. Uh, Brian, when we were going through this series, uh, this would be a good piece of homework to leave you with. Uh, and Saudi Daisy, I think he's doing it now at Hickson, right? Is he doing it again right now at Hickson? Is he not? The uh, parables? He was? Maybe not? Okay, maybe not. Uh, when he was going through this particular text, he talked about it is a, this particular text is a clinic for weak leadership. If you want to learn how to be a great leader, sometimes it's helpful to study poor leaders. You look at every single thing Herod did and believed. You do the opposite of that, that is strong leadership. But literally every single thing that he does in this passage is weak. It is, it is out of a position of fear. It is out of a position of, like, I care what others... Th- I mean, it's all this just garbage. So here's my... Uh, I may leave you with this since it's time to stop. Uh, look at opportunities that Herod had to do the right thing, and he, he just let it pass right on by. Because there's a lot of those in this particular text. So that's actually where I wanted to get to today. So 14 through 16 are... All of the options, what does Herod believe? And then really 17 through 29 is the, the explanation of what actually happened to make 14 through 17 have some contextual uh, understanding so that we understand what he's actually talking about. And that's where we get into all this crazy stuff and dancing and stepchildren and platters and heads and executioners and just all kinds of craziness. So we'll leave it with that. But uh, I think this is one of those really helpful tools to keep in your Bible somewhere whenever you're going through the New Testament and you see the word Herod or any of these other names. Just to have a perspective on where they are, who they are, what they were focused on, that kind of a thing. Um, and then at your tables, you should have a weekly update. So if you are uh, able, I would love you to put your name at the bottom of that. That's how we record attendance each week. Uh, add any prayer requests. Uh, pick a section to pray over as a table. And then after you have finished praying over that section as a table, uh, you are dismissed to go and to worship. <laughs> get this. Get this. Don't, 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 don't cut me off yet. To go and to worship. You're going to like this, Tim. The one who is still doing miracles after his resurrection. The one who is still incredible and wonderful and amazing because what we do sometimes is we get distracted and think that this story is all about Herod. Herod is just a guy with a red shirt. He's not the point of the story. There you go. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.